to open your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I've got a question for you this morning. I'm just curious. And if I had the time, I'd really try to get an answer from each of you. How many of you have ever received a Christmas gift that you never ended up using? Have you ever had one of those? Now, I will tell you that um, I have been known to receive some Christmas gifts from others who got them in previous years, and they re-gifted them and gave them to me. Has that ever happened to you? But I tell you, one of those times that I got one of those gifts that I didn't know if I would ever use, uh, I'll tell you, eventually I did. It was something my parents gave me four or five years ago when they gave me this contraption to wear on my arm, and they did so with a whole lot of excitement. They wanted me to have a Fitbit. And I didn't really understand what a Fitbit was, and they gave it to me with a whole lot of enthusiasm. My parents said, this is great. I mean, it is so exciting. You get to monitor how many steps you take in any given day. And I thought, that sounds really, really great. Like, I care about that. You know, I don't, what's the big deal? I didn't understand how many steps. What matters does that make? I, I didn't get it. I said, no, it's wonderful. You can do that. And so they gave me the Fitbit. I got really excited about it. And then what happened to the Fitbit is what happens to the ring that rules all rings in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. That which should not have been forgotten was forgotten. And it was left on my dresser in the back corner that I didn't think about that gathers dust except when Allie helps me occasionally take care of it. And that's where it stayed until the pandemic. Because that's when my girls also got a Fitbit and they said, Daddy... You have one. We remember when we were babies, you, we had this memory of you getting a Fitbit. And, and why don't you get it out and use it? And, and Paige set it up for me. She said, it's going to be so much fun. We can compete against each other as to how many steps we get. So I got my Fitbit. I started using that Fitbit. And can I tell you, I have a hard time now going a day without it. Now, there's several reasons why. One of the reasons is obvious. I want to win. I want my girls to know I get more steps than them. And no matter how much I want to win, I have to compete against my wife who gets 20,000 steps a day. I kid you not. I'm hopeless. Even when I go for long runs, I can't keep up with Allie. I always come in second. But I always want to win. So I always want to have it on. And in the middle of the day, if it so happens in getting ready, I forgot to put on my Fitbit, I have been known to go home and get it. I mean, can you blame me? How else will I not only do I want to win, I mean, I've already established that, but you know the other reason, the Fitbit lets me know that my heart is beating. I might not know if I'm alive or not if I don't have it on. So I go home to get that Fitbit, and I enjoy it. So every day I monitor how things are going. I look at the things that I'm doing that are good and healthy, I consider the things that I'm not doing that I ought to do. I see how many calories I've burned. I can even magically decide if I am managing my stress well from the number that my Fitbit tells me. And it's just wonderful. It can do all of those things. Now, I tell you that because it is a device that I find to be helpful. It's good to have something that lets you know the practices that are good, the things you ought not to do the things you might want to change, all of that is helpful in thinking about your health. But I find that Acts chapter 2 is a text that does for us in a spiritual sense something that that Fitbit does for us in a physical sense. 
And even as I talk about it, I'm reminded how the Bible tells us that physical fitness is good to a point, but it's really spiritual nourishment and spiritual fitness that keeps you fit and ready for heaven. And as we think about that, I want you to know that Acts chapter 2 can have a similar effect on your life. Now, to understand this chapter, you need to understand that it is the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus gave to his disciples back in John chapter 14 when he said it's better for them that he leave so that the Spirit could come. And when you come to Acts chapter 2, the disciples are longingly awaiting the fulfillment of that promise. 120 believers after Jesus' ascension are gathered together in an upper room waiting for the Spirit to come. And when Acts chapter 2 opens, the Spirit descends upon them as tongues of flame. And after that, you read about how the disciples are able to speak in a language that previously they knew not to share the gospel in a language with people who spoke in those languages. And then Peter begins to preach in Acts chapter 2. And he preaches and brings the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is poured out on all who hear. And by the end of that sermon, 3,000 people flood forward and receive Christ as Savior and Lord. And after that day, the pools of Jerusalem are then filled with new believers who have accepted Christ and are following the Lord in obedience by giving their lives to Him and showing it by believers' baptism. And then we come to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The church has been born. These new believers are there. It is as fresh and as new of a birth as you can even imagine. Just days, the days that follow after these believers have trusted in Christ and the Spirit has come in such a powerful way, we now see what these believers are doing. And in these verses, we not only learn about what the church is to be, as the body of Christ, the ones who God has set aside, it says in, in, it, it, it says in Titus 2.14, as a people that he has saved for himself. But it not only tells us what the people of God as the church is to be, these verses tell us the things we are to do. So read them with me in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, And the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a great text. Just as there are activities that every healthy person does to take care of their physical health, there are activities that every Christian should do to take care of their spiritual health. And even as we look in these verses, it just gets me excited about August chapter August 1st. Aren't you excited about what's coming? After this long season of pandemic, as we move into a time of a fuller expression of ministry, it's going to be wonderful implementing this ministry plan throughout our entire church. This is going to be a great day. And we're about a month away. We're getting ready for that day. And as we're getting excited about what's coming, 
we understand this is a great opportunity for us as a church, and it's a great opportunity for us as individuals. As you're a believer in Jesus, your walk with Jesus is very personal, but it's also to be understood in a corporate sense. How do you live out your faith in community? August 1 gives us our church a chance to really focus on that which needs to be in place for us to be the church God's effectively calling us to be. So that's the way I want you to see these verses. And the main thing I want you to consider this morning as we look at these verses is this. That when Christians are filled with the Spirit, they engage in activities of discipleship together. I want to say it again to give you time. Write it down if you need to. As Christians are filled with the Spirit, we engage in activities of discipleship together. And these verses show us what those activities ought to be. And as you read these verses, I want you to understand their significance. These new believers are so new. They're so fresh out of the womb of the new birth in Christ. They are still dripping wet with the water from their baptism. That's how fresh these verses are. And as we look at them, especially those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, especially those of us who might be a bit weary or have might grown distracted as to what the church should be or should not be, there's a simplifying, clarifying effect that these verses give the church of the Lord Jesus so we know the things we ought to do to bring glory and honor to the Lord. So let's look at what those things are, and let's unpack them. And as we do so, what you're going to see is the inspiration behind what I'm going to share at the end of the message, our discipleship um, pipeline that will hopefully allow us as a church to be faithful to all the things we're going to talk about this morning. So first I want you to see, there's a believer in Jesus walking with Christ. God calls us to grow as we receive sound teaching. Do you see what it says in that opening verse? They devoted themselves. If you have a translation of the ESV, it might include the word continually devoted themselves. That word meant that they persistently attached themselves to the teaching of the apostles. You got to remember where this is in the history of the church. This is before you have the canon of scripture, the New Testament completed. So every believer in Jesus are looking to the apostles to give them the teaching of doctrine that they need to anchor their life to in order to be faithful to this calling to serve and follow Christ. So they attach themselves to this teaching daily. When I think about these verses, I think about my neighborhood. My daughter Hannah loves to play with her friends. We have signs up in our yard around, careful driving, slow, drive slow, children are at play. And my daughter is always playing with her neighborhood friends. And it might be the Mitchells on one side. It might be the Greenbergs on the other. It might be Sophia across the street. And, uh, uh, and, and it might be one of those things. We always know, though, when she's not in the house, where she might be. She's in one of those three places. You never have to ask where she is. We know where she is. The same thing were true if you were a family member of a new believer back in the days of Acts chapter 2. You didn't have to wonder where your relative was. You knew where they were attached to the disciples as they were teaching them doctrine in which they needed to live. They're much like Martha 
In the story of, or not Martha, rather Mary, in the story of Mary and Martha, who would sit at the feet of Jesus every chance she got. That's where these believers were, receiving the teaching that they needed for life as the apostles were teaching them the truths of God's Word. So as we think about August 1, we need to be committed as much as ever before to this type of growth in our knowledge of the Word of God. And can I tell you this? This isn't just so that you become an expert in the Bible or have a bunch of knowledge in an academic sense of what the Bible says. If that's your goal, you can do that in some classroom somewhere. I want you to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God because you need it for your very life. You stay anchored to it because if you let go, you will just fall off into a cliff and you don't even want to even think about where the end result will be. And you long for the Word of God. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 4. Man may not live, does not live by bread alone, you remember? But by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's why in Jeremiah it says God's Word was our food so we ate it. Your soul needs to be nourished on the Word of God every single day. And these early believers understood that. They didn't let their lives get distracted from it. They were passionate about growing according to this sound teaching. That's what it tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the immense value of the Bible. is It tells us that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. What do you need outside of life? In godliness, life includes every component of your life. The Bible gives you what you need. Godliness so that you're fit for heaven when you meet Jesus one day. Everything you need is given to us in the Bible. It's of immense value. When I was thinking about the value of the Word of God, it it reminded me of how I grew up loving to collect baseball cards. If you are a kid of the 80s and 90s, you know what I'm talking about. And you wanted to have a Ken Griffey Jr. Fleer rookie card. And you wanted to have the rated rookies, Will Clark and the Bo Jackson. I had those cards. I was so proud of them. I had a little book with the cards in it. And my most valuable ones were on the front page. I could brag about them to my buddies. And that's what I had. But can I tell you, I never had the Mickey Mantle cards. I didn't have the cards of immense value. We would talk a lot about the cards, like I remember, we sit around. Did, can you imagine what it'd be like to have a Hannes Wagner card? Hannes Wagner was a guy who played baseball back in the early 20th century, and his card was even then taught, thought thought to be the most valuable baseball card you could get. It was recently sold for 3.75 million dollars. Wouldn't it be nice to have a card like that? Wouldn't it be nice to go up to your family's attic and oh, there's a Hannes Wagner card? Wow. I can send my kids to college ten times over. I mean, it'd be all right. I think about all the things in my life that I've seen value in. I've gotten to go to Cairo, Egypt, and seen King Tut's incredible display of all that was found within his coffin as they found it inside of that great pyramid of immense value. I have seen things that are beyond any description of how valuable they are. The Hope Diamond in Washington, D.C., worth $250 billion. But can I tell you of all these things that we put monetary value on? You can have a Hannes Wagner card. You can own the Hope Diamond. And if you're on a deserted island, it will do no good for you at all. 
The only thing that matters is the Word of God in our lives. It's why I say it over and over again. Study the Word. Know the Word. It's what you need more than anything else. If we're going to be a church ready for what God has for us in the future, we've got to grow in our knowledge of of the Word. We've got to receive sound teaching. But then we continue. Listen to what else they gave themselves to. Fellowship, the breaking of bread, community. Did you know that we need to regularly be together? Breaking of bread. Have you ever thought of Wednesday night as being a spiritual opportunity for you to come together with the people of God and break bread around the table every single week in the middle of your week when you just need to be encouraged? Don't just think of that as a convenient way to get together so you can have a meal before Wednesday night stuff. Think of it as an opportunity to be the church. We're going to get to do that again come August. To pray together with more regularity. And listen to what else it says. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Don't you love that? Here's the next thing I want you to consider. As we're coming into August 1, we need to do what we learn here. Worship with the saints every week. All came upon every soul. I love the way that David Peterson in his commentary describes that word all. He says, there was an enduring sense of awe inspired by the consciousness that God was at work in their midst. That's what happened every time this church would get together and would worship with each other. You wonder, why, why are you running around so much this morning, Pastor? Why are you so excited? It's because I told you about my Fitbit. I gave me give my steps today, okay? No, but think about the awe of that text. Are you amazed at the awe of what God does when the people assemble Are you anticipating him to do great things? Just signs and wonders as it talks about here. You read about in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas did them on their missionary journeys. Stephen did them as he ministered the gospel. You read of the signs and wonders of Philip who ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch in such a miraculous way. And then what happened in Samaria as he shared the gospel there. Signs and wonders Peter committed to in Acts chapter 3 as he healed the man in the side of the road begging. You read about all these incredible signs and wonders that were done in the name of Christ to bring authenticity and truthfulness to the message of the gospel. That's why we have them in Acts. And the people would expect great things to happen every time they would get together. Can I ask you, is that the way that you come into worship every week? Expecting God to do immeasurably above more than you could ever hope or imagine? Are you coming here with a longing and excitement, wondering, what is God going to do today? This morning, as we get to meet together, is this the culmination of an entire week that you have spent in private worship, readying your heart for public worship? If you're coming in here cold, not in the Word, not in prayer, not thinking about the Lord, and you're wondering, why don't I ever get excited about what's happening on Sunday morning? Let me tell you, the issue is not with the stage. The issue is with the heart. We can't make you be warm and ready to receive the gospel every week, but when you are ready in the Word, warmed up in your relationship with Jesus, you come here on Sunday mornings and you are ready to just Give it all over to the Lord together. Filled with awe of what God does when the people of God get together. There's a reason we do this in one expression. 
all the generations together in the same service. Why is that? Because we are a family. Not just certain groups that have certain interests and like to do things a certain way. Worship is not an event at First Baptist. Worship is a discipline. It's a regular practice we commit ourselves to to grow in Christ. That's why we better break the statistics that say in a typical church of today, you might have an active church member in the attendance one, uh, 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 every other week, about 50% of the time. No wonder churches are growing cold and ineffectual and proclaiming the truth of the gospel in the world. You need this regularly. It says here continually the church was in worship, filling Their hearts were filled with awe, expecting God to do great things. So we need to grow as we receive teaching. We need to worship with the saints every week. We need to serve to strengthen the body. Listen to what it says here. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What a text. Now, don't think that this means that the Bible is affirming communism. That's not it. People had their own possessions, but they understood they were merely a steward of what God had given them. And they cared way more about, listen to me, the needs of each other in the church and the thought that someone could go home without a need met absolutely wrecked them. There was no way they'd let it happen. They would do whatever was necessary to make sure that the church was whole and every individual person in it was whole. That's what real community in the church is all about. That's what ministry looks like when we're serving each other in ministry. The church was ministering in such an effective way, loving others not just in speech but in deed, caring for the needs of everyone, demonstrating generosity in such a profoundly helpful way. They just valued their body. When I think about this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote the book Life Together, a book that I have found to be so helpful for me. Theologian back in the days of Nazi Germany stood against the advances of Hitler was unwilling to compromise as so many in the church did back then. He valued the body of the church. He cared about the relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ. He knew knew how valuable they were. This is what he wrote. It's grace and nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. It's only God's grace that we get to do this. Don't we understand that in a deeper way after this pandemic season? The grace upon grace of God that gives us the chance to be together as a church family. What joy this is. So along with serving each other, they also were committed to sharing the gospel, to go across the street and around the world to tell others about Jesus. So as they were praising God and having favor with the people, the text says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Of course they were being saved. When you have a church filled up with the love of Christ like this, it doesn't just stay within the church itself. It spills over into the world. It just bubbles up and just goes everywhere. It just erupts into the community around it. And people were being changed by it. Back in AD 300, there was a 
emperor of Rome who was aggravated at the church and he couldn't do anything to stop it from growing. It's kind of like Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5 when he says, of the church, he says, if it's of God, you can't stop it. If you try, you won't be successful at all. So you see what's happening in the church. It was taking off and people were getting saved right and left and were coming to Christ and the emperor was wondering, what is it? And he reached a conclusion. Is why Christianity was spreading like it was. And this is what he concluded. The reason for its growth was because of Christians' charity to the poor. And he said, the impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours as well, he complained, welcoming them into the agape. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. Of course they cared about children. Of course they cared about everyone who was in need. They just loved on everyone. It transforms a community when the people of God live out their calling to love everyone according to the love that Christ has given them. And as their witness was backing up what they were saying in deed and word, as they were sharing the gospel with everyone who would listen, the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. So that's what you have here. These believers were continually giving themselves to teaching, to worship, to service and ministry, and to taking the gospel across the street and to the ends of the world. This is what we find in Acts chapter 2. And as we roll into August, chap- August 1st, I keep saying August chapter 1, that doesn't make any sense. As we roll into August 1, we have so much to look forward to as we have our ministry plan and our discipleship pipeline is the language we're going to use that allows us to practically carry these things out in our community within our church. And if you've not studied the incredible ministry plan that Pastor Adam has put together and the, and, and, and the, the, the welcome booklet that explains it all, I put it up here. Here's one of the pages you'll find in it. This is the discipleship pipeline of our church. Now, you'll notice that the center is our logo. This is language we've been using for a long time. Worship, grow, serve, and go. If you wondered where did that come from? Well, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 has all of it there, and then some. And this is our discipleship pipeline for our church. So what does that mean for us come August 1? Well, when we think about worship, I hope we'll understand that worship is not an event, like I said earlier, but it's a discipline. We'll think of it as a spiritual habit that we practice to promote spiritual growth. That we'll do whatever's necessary to make it a priority in our week, because not because we have to for some legalistic reason, because we want to. And when we commit ourselves to the thing God calls us to, we're always blessed for it. We don't want to do what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Isn't it almost prophetic in a day that an active church member is called active if they're only here every other week, half the year? In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as some are in the habit of doing. But instead, we're called to be together so we can stir each other up to love and good works. This is a discipline. So don't look at it as an event. If you look at it as an event, something you go to, please hear me. 
Don't say any longer, I'm looking forward to Sunday getting to go to church. That's partly right, but you're not going to church. You're going to be the church. Do you see the difference? And every time we worship, it's an opportunity for us to engage in a discipline that will grow us more into the image of Jesus. That's why we do what we do. So worship. Make it a spiritual practice for your life. Jeff, I'm just dry right now. Have you made this a important part of what you do every week God's designed it so that we would be with God's people in worship we also need to grow when you think about growth we think about it in groups and there's three different types of groups as we think about our discipleship pipeline so you're here every week in worship but also with regularity you're involved in study groups community groups and discipleship groups Study groups are what happened in Sunday school. And it's why Sunday school is so important. And there's two different types of groups that you can be a part of. We have a great curriculum that Adam is putting in place that has rotating classes every six weeks. You get to choose which of the classes you like to attend. It's wonderful. Teachers are teaching according to their passion and what they're ready to give us. And it's an intentional way to answer the question, what does a disciple of Jesus need? And we're giving people those opportunities to come to those classes, those rotating classes. And we celebrate just as much our Sunday school classes that come August 1 will be in full effect. The classes, that are, the classes we've had for a long time that have not rotating teachers, but a single teacher. Not different makeups every six weeks, but the same group that come together to grow in the Word, to study the Word together. It's another wonderful expression of study groups. So we have Sunday school classes that are both. We have study groups that will happen on Wednesday nights after we meet together around the table. When I teach through Revelation, there will be a study group on a Wednesday night. Opportunities for you to receive sound doctrine, to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. But along with study groups, we also have community groups. And these are groups that will assemble as people get together for the purpose of meeting every week to develop deeper relationships with one another. They'll look at the sermon and how to apply it every week and talk about that. But boy, it's going to be a wonderful time. A lot of these community groups are going to be happening in people's homes. We've already got several of them meeting all throughout our, all throughout our community. So community groups happen in homes, off campus mostly, and it gives you a chance to connect with people on a weekly basis to have brothers and sisters in Christ that you're sharing life with. And we also have discipleship groups. These are mainly groups made up of only men and only women to grow into the likeness of Jesus so that they can hold each other accountable. And if you're trying to think of one word to define each of these groups, study groups, think of the word knowledge. Community groups, think of the word fellowship. And discipleship groups, think of the word holiness. Growing in holiness and accountability together to live out our calling to grow in Christ. This is a part of the pipeline. We're worshiping together. We're growing together. And we're serving together. And the main expression of service is what we call ministry teams. Ministry teams give you the chance to use your talents and gifts for the glory of God. We talked about the parable of the talents to make sure that you're ready to see Jesus one day. So you've used your gifts and the time God's given you for his glory. You don't want to be standing there as one who buried your talent. 
We want to be one who is productive and fruitful for the kingdom. So we have ministry teams that lets us serve one another so that we can grow stronger together as a church as we care for each other in that way and serves our community. And there's all kinds of different ministry teams. We have first impression teams to help people get greeted, security teams to make sure our church is safe every Sunday, teams working in the nursery. Did y'all pay attention to what happened last week? All kinds of babies up here up front. What does that mean, church? We need you in the nursery loving on those babies and caring for them so their moms and dads can trust that they're being taken care of in a safe way. It's such a gift to our church. We have needs in our children's ministries. We're coming out of this pandemic and needing to have those teams bolstered. Our student ministry teams need to be strengthened and leaders need to be there. So I just invite you to be a part of a ministry team. You want to be ready when you see Jesus. I long for you to be ready to see him. So ministry teams matter in our church. There's all kinds of different ones. Our worship team, there's all kinds of unsung heroes making sure that our technical things are working well, that our services are live streamed, that we have musicians, that we'll have more voices in the choir. All of this on August 1, it's going to be so important. Ask the question, oh God, what do you want me to do for your glory? And do it. So you'll be in the discipleship pipeline of service. And then go. Local missions, missions around the world. We're going to have an opportunity starting in August every month to go into our community, passing out door knockers, praying for every home in the proximity of our church. Jeff Hodges is going to lead that. It's going to be wonderful. Every month we'll meet together on a particular Saturday and just go out and let people know we love them and we're praying for them. And if there's any way we can meet their need, we want to. And we're going to have chances to love on our community in the coming year, we're going to have a particular day that we set aside to do all kinds of service projects to tell the world that we love them. It's going to be a beautiful way to share your faith. I want to ask you a question that I asked last week. You're going to be encouraged to do this all the time. What well are you building? Opportunities to engage in gospel witness. Those things are going to matter so much for us as we come out of this pandemic to reach this community. And we're going to have our missions conference again. I can't wait for it. It'll be in November. Leading off will be our dear friend Kathy. I'd say her last name, but I don't want to say it because this will be broadcasted. But she'll be leading off our Friday night session. I cannot wait to hear from her in November to give us a vision of what mission trips are going to look like in the coming year. I hope that you'll make it a priority and be there that weekend. It's my favorite weekend in the life of our church is our missions conference weekend. Going across the street, going around the world is a part of our discipleship pipeline. We've got to do it. And if you think about all of these things, worship, grow, serve, and go, there's parts of these different disciplines all mixed up together, isn't there? It's hard to even take them apart. It's kind of like this morning when I met Ryan for breakfast this morning. And I was over at Ken's Corner Grill and I was eating my two eggs with my grits and my sausage. And you know what I do? I cut up my sausage. I take all the grits and eggs, I mix it all together. And I eat it all at once. When you're a part of the discipleship pipeline, worship, grow, serve, and go is all mixed into your life. It's baked into who you are. 
as you're growing into the likeness of Jesus, bringing glory and honor to him and how you're living every day. Won't you do that? Come August 1, aren't you excited about what we've got coming? I tell you, when I think about this, my Fitbit is so much fun. Think of your walk with Jesus that way. And this morning, ask the question, are you in the pipeline? Are you committed to worship, not as an event, but with an expectation, filled with awe of what God's going to do every week? Are you growing in Jesus, a part of our study groups, our community groups, our discipleship groups? I talked about our discipleship groups, men and women. I cannot wait. Our ladies are already meeting, many of them. They're putting together new groups. Our men are getting things cranked up, and we're going to start having breakfast together every month so that we'll be ready to get together as men and grow in Christ. Are you ready to grow? Are you ready to serve together? And go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. If those were the things on your spiritual Fitbit, how would you be doing? Are you ready? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Because we're going to have a time of invitation. And I just encourage you to consider all of these things we've talked about this morning. These activities that these believers that were still wet from the water of their baptism were committed to. Or the activities God's calling us to do August one. We're rolling into this new day, and I cannot wait for it. Do you worship the way we talked about? Sunday morning for our church may be unique from other places. We celebrate the fullness of the generations God's brought here. Do you show up with a sense of awe what God is doing in your life and what He's going to do? Are you ready to grow in Him? To be satisfied with nothing but the Word of God to be that which gives you life. And to serve Him in ministry. To go wherever He's calling you to go to declare the glory of Jesus so others can be saved. Father, I pray that you will just show us as we move into this season how to just stay anchored to you and on our faces before you begging you to do a work in our church that only you can do. We thank you for this wonderful vision, ministry plan of what is coming. We cannot wait to see our church teeming over with disciples of Jesus longing to grow more and more into your likeness. Oh God, may you do in our church what we are incapable of and may you move in ways that only you can in our days to come. Father, we cannot wait to see all that the future holds. And though there are plenty of challenges around, we just want to stay anchored to your gospel and to your truth. Father, protect us from the enemy. May we stay focused and not distracted on what you've called us to do and bringing glory and honor to you by making disciples right here at First Baptist Smyrna. God, we pray that you'll just do a work in our church and in each of our individual lives. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen.